friends, and welcome to my Heart to Heart podcast. I am your host, Kathy Jo Hart. I am a Christian speaker and author of God's Chosen Helper. Our focus is to discuss the hot topics of the day and how it relates to the Bible and the lessons through the love of Christ. Today's show is about how God defines women and is the first in our Christian Women's series. You see, over the past several years, there have been multiple discussions about how culture wants to change what God has created in his image. Whether it is the emasculated ideology that is trying to change definitions of who we are as a woman, or the false teachings that insists on banning women from the pulpit, neither group has the right to change or limit who God made women to be. We are also going to talk about the bombshell report that was recently made public that involves the Southern Baptist Convention that is going to tie this entire episode together. There is a lot to talk about, so let's get started. The purpose of this series is to discover women's biblical past and to encourage women today and in the future to confidently embrace God's spirit-led destinies for each one of us. I will be explaining scripture and the importance of women in ministry that have been purposely misrepresented to manipulate dominance of one over another. God purposely created women to be different from men to complement, to help, and to compensate for what the other lacks, all while retaining our individual unique and special qualities. This perfect partnership was designed to create unity of purpose and to become one in the body of Christ. In reading and studying the Bible, it is clear that God's word is never to be in conflict. It only seems conflicted when people misinterpret or misrepresent scripture. It is through the hypocrisy of human nature that has always diminished the role of women throughout history. And ladies, let's face it, we are guilty of this too. With so much false information out there, where do we find the truth? The truth is found in the Old and New Testaments in the Bible. But when reading or studying the Bible, we must understand the historical significance and background in any given period of time. We must avoid preconceived opinions based upon the teachings of today, and it requires us to remove our tendencies to judge a word based on today's meanings. I am going to start off by declaring that we need more godly women stepping into leadership roles within the church and in ministries around the world. Now, I know the idea of women-led ministries have sparked debates within the church for decades. Those who oppose women-led ministries point to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, which we are going to talk about today, and the two letters written by Paul found in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy. 
I will be going into greater detail about Paul's letters in our Christian Women's series, so make sure you click the follow button so you won't miss future episodes. But for today's show, it is important to keep in mind that throughout his ministry, Paul referenced both men and women equally as my fellow workers in Christ found in Romans chapter 16. He did not elevate one over the other, and Paul used women throughout his ministry when establishing the churches. Women were teachers teaching new ministers about how to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Women were allowed to pray and prophesy in church. Paul appointed women in deacon roles, but yet through the misperceptions or misinterpretations of the literal reading of the translated English scripture, women continue to be oppressed in God's house. This was, and still is, a grossly misleading interpretation of the intent of the author, who was Paul. The practice of keeping women away from teaching the gospel is arrogantly wrong, and let me tell you why. Church leaders use the literal English translation when teaching the Bible. I'm talking about the limitations of the English language versus the Greek language that was used by Paul when he wrote parts of the New Testament. And it makes the living word of God somewhat confusing because Greek cannot be properly or literally translated to English very well. So let me give you an example. There are five words in the Greek language for love. There is agape love, which is the unconditional love of God, and eros, which is the love of a spouse. There's philia, which is the type of love you would have for a friend, and storge, which is the love and affection for parents and children, and philotic, which is the word for self-love. And then to translate these words into the English language, you would get one word in English that is somehow supposed to mean many different things. It is because there is only one word in the English language to describe these different types of love, and that word is love. This makes the translation confusing since the love of pizza cannot be differentiated from the love of God. But then you would have to add into the translations grammar rules. In the book, The Apostle Paul and Women in Church, written by Reverend Dr. Don Williams, Dr. Williams did the grammar translation for us by pointing out that the Greek phrase of I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over men, found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, was translated without the present active indicative verb within the sentence. Now, I am not a grammar expert, but thankfully, Reverend Dr. Don Williams was. The actual translation should be, I am not presently permitting a woman to teach or to have authority over men. 
Now, this is because Paul was reacting to the misbehaviors of the Gnostic women in the city of Ephesus. Paul was not going to allow them to teach until they could learn how to be in full submission. He did not want the Gnostic teachings and idol worship of the goddess Diana that had existed hundreds of years prior to Paul's arrival to be taught in the church. Now remember, Paul was the new guy in town talking about the new God of Jesus Christ. Now, remember when I said we have to look at the historical significance within the Bible? This is a great example as to why we have to do that. Paul knew the stronghold of the goddess Diana was going to be one of the most difficult to eliminate. He understood the myth of Diana was fiercely independent and spirited and vowed not to be associated with or subjected to a man. Her temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it existed for nearly eight centuries. Paul recognized this and made it a rule. Now, this was his rule and not God's rule, and that it was supposed to be temporary, not permanent. But modern theologists have made it permanent. And this goes against Paul's entire ministry and against Jesus's teachings too. And remember, the word of God is not supposed to be in conflict. One of the largest Christian organizations who practices the literal English translation that forbids women to teach is the Southern Baptist Convention. It was the new doctrine within the SBC that was central in the split within the organization called the Conservative Resurgence that created the most controversial power play that eliminated the ability for women to become ordained ministers. Those who opposed this doctrine referred to it as the fundamentalist takeover. Now, this new doctrine used the literal translations of Genesis and 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy that we just discussed to keep women in a full submissive role within the church. It is this doctrine that is driving Christians away from the church, and it is the declining baptisms and church memberships that confirms this. But the Southern Baptist Convention is learning a painful lesson that hopefully will force a correction regarding this doctrine. About one month ago, the Tennessean reported a bombshell report that the Southern Baptist Convention settled with three men who sued Paul Pressler, the SBC, and their affiliates for sexual abuse that began in 1977. The settlement was undisclosed, and as reported by the Tennessean, the executive committee said, quote, Several factors ultimately made settlement the more prudent choice. Chief among those factors was the horrendous nature of the abuse allegations. 
the likelihood that counsel for the SBC and executive committee would have to confront and cross-examine abuse survivors, the executive committee's current financial condition, and the willingness of multiple insurance carriers to contribute to the terms of the settlement. Another article by Christianity Today stated that the SBC had been caught in a web of sexual abuse claims, the mistreatment of abuse survivors, and that the SBC's executive committee, quote, had long acted to shield its assets from liability in trying to defend the indefensible. So what was the indefensible? It was the decades-long sexual abuse claims of young men going all the way back to 1977 when the victims were minors by the first vice president of the SBC. Now, his name is Paul Pressler. Not only did he serve as vice president, but he was also a judge and a highly influential political activist. What makes this case more alarming is Paul Pressler was the chief architect in drafting the conservative resurgence that took control of the SBC in the 1990s. The conservative resurgence doctrine restricted women from becoming ordained ministers, even though prior to the 1990s, the SBC ordained women ministers. The reason women cannot preach from the pulpit or teach ministry anywhere in the world without being called false teachers or false prophets is mainly because of this guy. Now, during his time as the vice president of the SBC in 2004, Mr. Pressler agreed to a settlement with one of the abuse victims for $450,000. If he had not defaulted on this agreement, we may never have known the extent of corruption at the SBC. But Mr. Pressler stopped making payments, which forced the victim to file a civil lawsuit in 2017. But this time, more victims came forward and it became a huge nightmare for the SBC. The civil lawsuit not only impacted Paul Pressler, but it also affected Paul's friend and co-author of the conservative resurgence doctrine, and his name is Paige Patterson. Mr. Patterson was not only a former president of the SBC in the 1990s, but served as the president of the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he was fired due to his role in the cover-up of several rape investigations. He also had to resign from his position where he served on the board of trustees of the Cedarville University. Now, prior to the split of the SBC, the organization allowed women to become ordained ministers and had been doing so since 1964. And by the year 1987, the SBC had ordained over 500 women ministers, but it was through the influence of Paul Pressler and Paige Patterson that changed the direction of the SBC with the creation of the conservative resurgence doctrine 
that expelled women from leadership roles in the 1990s, and this doctrine is still followed today. Now, let's fast forward to February 23, 2023, when the Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches within the SBC and led by Minister Rick Warren, one of the most influential voices in evangelical ministry, was kicked out of the SBC for ordaining three women ministers. Now, all of this information can be found in Christianity Today, the Baptist Standard, the Houston Chronicles, the Tennessean, and the San Antonio Express News, and many other news outlets. I encourage you to read about it yourself to understand how the influence of these two men, Paul Pressler and Paige Patterson, changed the course of the Southern Baptist Convention. They didn't just change it. They upended it. But do you know the saddest part of all of this? Paul Pressler, who is now in his mid-90s, was never criminally charged for what he allegedly did. He, of course, denies the accusations, but the facts along with its witnesses plus the undisclosed settlement that was finalized on December 28th 2023, it tells a different story. But this is where this story is so frustrating. Those who were a part of Paul Pressler's private and professional life knew about these allegations going back decades. Here is a piece of evidence that made it to the news. Included in the evidence against Paul Pressler was a letter from his home church that stated in 2004, the church authority knew about a misconduct report against Mr. Pressler and didn't strip him of his title as deacon or notify others in the SBC. Now, I can only imagine why. Was it Mr. Pressler's extensive political influence in the Houston, Texas area? The financial contributions made by his family to the church? Or maybe both? I have to openly wonder how many more abuse claims will come to light since this story was published only one month ago. Since we know the history of this anti-woman minister movement in the church, let's focus on how God defines women. So let's start from the beginning in Genesis, where we are going to learn about how God defines a woman. Now, after God created Adam, he saw that Adam was lonely. So God created a woman as an etzer. In the Hebrew language, the word etzer means helper, to save and to be strong. Now, there are different ways the Hebrew language is pronounced, similar to how we say tomato, tomato, potato, potato. If you hear a different pronunciation, just bear with me as I will try to do my best with the Hebrew language. Now, the English translation for etzer is helpmate. God created women to be the perfect companion to man, not to be the same, 
but to be an ideal partner and a strong ally. God did not create man or woman to be above or below the other, nor does the Bible imply that women were created to be a subservient task helper to all men. Now, some believe that a woman's role was meant to be subservient because she was created from man. So let's take a closer look at that interpretation through Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 12, it reads, For as women came from man, so also man is born of women. But everything comes from God. Huh. Sounds equal to me. Now let's take a closer look at the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis. It was God that told Adam not to eat from the tree of knowledge. It was God's commandment to Adam that gave him the responsibility to guard and protect the garden and his wife. God allowed Adam and Eve to live freely and to enjoy whatever God provided them with the exception of eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge. They weren't even supposed to touch that tree. When the serpent entered the garden, notice he did not approach Adam. The serpent approached Eve, and although she was deceived into eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge, it was Adam who sinned by choosing to disobey God. It was his responsibility to protect the garden and his wife. This was his role commanded by God. Now, there is an assumption that God punished Eve more than Adam. Nowhere is this indicated in the Bible. But notice in Genesis 3 what Adam did when God questioned him about what had happened in the garden. Adam blamed Eve. Now, on a side note, I think it is funny how human nature doesn't change. Just ask any marriage counselor how many husbands blame their wives for their own adulterous affairs. Like Adam tried placing the blame onto Eve by saying, it's her fault. She made me do it. But God knew better because he knew Adam negated his responsibility in protecting the garden and his wife regardless of the temptation. Even though Adam and Eve introduced the original sin, it was through Eve the solution for man's sin came through her seed, which was Mary's virgin birth of Jesus. Notice the seed didn't come from Adam. It was Jesus who paid the price for sin. So what was the curse that came through Adam? Because God had placed Adam as the head of the family and Adam failed as a result, God's curse is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. 
The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. Now, as for Eve, God's punishment for her is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. And this is the one that men refer to when referencing submission. And it reads, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, it tells us that there are two paths we can follow, the path of Adam or the path of Jesus. One was condemned and the other offers life. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. As a result, through Jesus, the original sin is no longer the issue. But what God does provide each one of us are the fundamentals to have a happier life by following him, or we can choose not to follow him. God gave us this choice, but the fundamentals are explained in detail in the Bible and we will go into greater depth about this in future episodes. But what can we learn about the serpent and his role in the garden? What did the serpent do? Well, he used deception to entice Eve and then Adam. What did the serpent say to Eve? And he said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve answered the serpent, telling him that there was only one tree they could not eat or touch, or they would die. But the serpent responded with, no, you will certainly not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent used desire and deception to entice Eve. Now, the devil still uses the same tactics as he used in the garden by convincing unbelievers and some believers that they too can be like God and that they too can be equal to God. The devil is a master of disguise and has interfered with the divine roles of men and women, as well as convincing women they don't need a man to have a family. The family unit is broken, and the devil is purposely convincing men and women there are no consequences, just as he implied it with Adam and Eve. Remember, he said, you're not going to die. The devil 
has used the same tactics throughout time. But if you don't read and study the Bible, you won't understand how the devil works. But in our quest to determine how God defines a woman, the answer is this. God created women to be the perfect companion to man, to be an ideal partner and a strong ally. He did not create man or woman to be above or below the other. Nor does it imply a woman has to be a menial task helper nor submissive to all men. God created women to have different natural gifts and talents that are unique to her. God did not intend for us to have the same strengths and weaknesses. Everyone is different, and everyone has their own destiny and purpose in life. If you are unaware or society dictates you ignore these gifts and talents without action and without purpose, these talents will die along with your spirit. And this is the reason why so many men, women, and children are struggling with anxiety and depression. They're lost because the world is telling them that they have to be someone else. And in order to be equal, they have to eliminate their strengths and talents that are supposed to guide them to their purpose. You see, without God, they will never learn who God created them to be. But many within Christian denominations point to the consequence of a fallen Eve as to Paul's preference that women are to be in silent submission found in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy. But why have these misperceptions of the Bible been successfully used against women? It is because we have biblically illiterate people trying to control the narrative of God and the Bible. It is not just ministers that are trying to ban women from preaching and teaching. It is also the ignorance of the secular society that takes hearsay as a matter of doctrine. And the reason women do not speak about how God defines them in the Bible is because we are not confident in our own knowledge and understanding of who we are in Christ. Knowledge is the key to fighting against the deceitful voice of the devil. If we do not begin standing up for God, the Bible, or each other, then those who seek to destroy God's word will be able to recreate and control the narrative of God. Because when we read about the oppression of women in the Bible— we learn societies that did not honor God were the worst oppressors of all. But here's the thing about our role as women. Each one of us is to serve a purpose that differs from the other. It is our differences that provide us with the ultimate potential to make each other great. As we end this segment... I ask that you please hit the subscribe button so you won't miss our next episode where we are going to learn about the significance of one of the most influential women in the Old Testament. We will be learning about the story of Deborah 
who was a military warrior, a leader, a judge, a songwriter, and was also known as the mother of Israel. You won't want to miss this powerful story about Deborah and the woman God chose to end the war against Israel. You're going to love it. As always, I encourage you to leave a message with all of your questions, and I promise to answer you. Thank you for joining me in our Christian Women's Series. Have a blessed week. In Jesus' name, amen.